God's grand plan from the beginning of creation is for his beloved children to bless the world, to be present as he is present, to be faithful as he is faithful to his promises, committed not to ourselves, but to a world worth saving. We're in 2 Kings chapter 17 this morning. 2 Kings, and I've got a red light on my battery, so I might need a new one. I'm good? Okay. 2 Kings 17 this morning. One of the great challenges in our series this fall is uh, when you're trying to begin at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 and end uh, at Christmas with Jesus, you only have about 16 weeks to make your way through 39 books of the Old Testament. So how do you pick and choose? How do you uh, zero in on what parts of God's Word to focus on as, you, as we try to think about the grand scheme or sort of the big picture, the, the main themes and movements of what God is up to? And our text this morning is one of the unique spots in uh, God's Word where the author sort of pulls back and provides commentary. Very rarely in the story of God's people do we find the authors taking a step back and giving commentary. But that's exactly what's happening uh, this morning. So as we, uh, as we read, let's, let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have again this morning to spend some time reflecting on it. And our prayer is that through the power of your spirit, through the presence of your spirit, through the promise of your spirit, you would speak to us through your word. And so open um, our hearts, make us aware of you. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to read verses 7 through 23 of Second Kings chapter 17. All of this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them as well as the practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. And the Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. From watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns. They set up sacred stones and asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. And at every high place, they burned incense as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that aroused the Lord's anger. They worshiped idols, though the Lord had said, you shall not do this. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through his prophets and seers, turn from your evil ways, observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. But they wouldn't listen. And they were stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors and the statutes he had warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. They forsook, 
forsook all the commands of the Lord their God and made for themselves two idols cast in the shape of calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed down to all the starry hosts. They worshiped Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sought omens, sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, rousing his anger. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. And only the tribe of Judah was left. And even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God. They introduced the practices Israel had introduced. Therefore the Lord rejected all the people of Israel. He afflicted them, gave them into the hands of plunderers until he thrust them from his presence. When he tore Israel away from the house of David, they made Jeroboam son of Nebat their king. Jeroboam enticed Israel away from following the Lord and caused them to commit a great sin. And the Israelites persisted in all the sins of Jeroboam and didn't turn away from them until the Lord removed them from his presence as he warned through his servants, the prophets. And so the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria, and they're still there. This is the word of the Lord. If I were going to tell you about my Thanksgiving weekend and I had a minute to do it, I would include certain things. I'd probably tell you that on Thursday, I went to my brother who lives in East Grand Rapids. They've got two nephews there. And so we uh, spent uh, the time together eating a meal and playing board games. And then on Friday morning, we left for Chicago. We spent the time in the Northwest suburbs uh, with my sister-in-law and her family and our three, uh, two nephews and our niece, and we sort of spent the day playing together. Right, when we tell a story and we have uh, a time frame, we only include certain information. And we only include the information that we imagine uh, the person listening will find either most helpful or most engaging. If I had more time, I could tell you about how we rake leaves. I could tell you about pl- uh, throwing football in the backyard. I could tell you about the, the different foods that we made and which turkey was better. Right, we could go into all of those different details. And, and most of us sort of know this just by living because when you talk to somebody in the back of the fellowship hall and says, somebody says, how was your weekend? You give them a very short time. But if you're going over there for dinner and somebody says, how was your weekend? Uh, you know that you have a meal to give them all of that information. Right? And the, the biblical writers are no different. They recognize that they only have so much time to tell the story about the various kings. They only have certain amount of time to get the point across. We also know that when we tell a story, we're going to include certain things that will perhaps put us in good graces with someone else. So if I'm a Packer fan and I talk about the Lions, I may say something a little more uh, differently because I don't want to increase your animosity against me. I will tell the story in a way that you will hopefully find me more favorable. Now, we might say, well, that's lying. Maybe. But we all choose information to highlight when we tell a story. We include certain events and leave others out. 
When did you come home from curfew? Well, I came home at midnight. And then I left. We leave that out in the telling of the story. My favorite way that we in the church do this is when we talk about the things that we buy. We talk about how much we found them on sale. We never actually name how much it costs. I had a 95% off coupon. You know, The way we tell the story illustrates what matters to us. This is so important when we read through the books of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles because the author wants us to know what matters most to God. Our passage this morning begins with a fairly summer, uh, fair summary of what the author has been doing. All of this took place because Israel had sinned against the Lord, their God, who had brought them out of Egypt. And so the author goes all the way back and says, the people of God have been rescued and they have now forgotten God and are being taken into exile And the summary is they have worshipped other gods. Now, if you have your Bible open, you can go up just a couple of verses and you can see how the author tells us about the various reigns of kings. Just listen to how the author tells it. In the 12th year of Ahaz, Hoshea, son of Elah, so he's got the dad, becomes king, and he reigns for nine years. So we get the number. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then there's a little bit of information. And then it tells us, for the most part, he died, and then somebody else succeeds him as king. So when we learn about the kings, we learn about when they come to power, how long they reign, and whether or not they did evil or did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And what is much less important to the author is their other accomplishments. So if we were going to flip through a couple of the kings, need a little bit of history. So up on the screen, you can see a map of the uh, boundary markers when our first good kings, David and Solomon, reign. You can see it's a rather substantial uh, area. It goes all the way down to the uh, the Red Sea. It goes all the way up to the Tigris River. It goes all the way to the Mediterranean shore. And it goes all the way to the mountain and desert regions uh, to the east. A substantial amount of land that God when he brought his people into the promised land, said, this is what will be yours. But if we go up, uh, go ahead a few chapters in the story of David and Solomon, we get to a couple of kings who have to regain land that was taken. We learn in the reign of uh, Jehoash that he has to go out and recapture these cities. And these events are held up as being incredibly great activities of the kings. He recaptures them in battling with the king of Aram to the north. Three times he defeated them, and you can see in circles there the cities that are recaptured. Later, we learn about Jeroboam II, 
who's the one who restores the boundaries. But notice they're not even as big as when David and Solomon were king. But the author zeroes in that Jeroboam was the second who restored the boundaries of Israel down to the sea, out to the coast, out to the desert, up to the north, but not quite as far. We learn about the accomplishments when we compare a map like this and see that the Jeroboam had a whole lot more land than what the king just before him had. But in every single one of the kings, the cycle, when they came to power, how long they reigned, whether or not they did good or evil in the eyes of the Lord, and then a little bit about their reign. We'll come back to that. We learn about Ahab, who conquers the Arameans, and his army conquers 100,000 soldiers. We learn about the strategic business dealings of Amri, his son, who purchases Samaria for the crown. We hear about all of these kings and all of the incredible things that they do, and yet none of them really matter at the end. Because when the author zeroes in on what matters most, it is this information at the top. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of his fathers. And so when we get to this text in front of us this morning, in 2 Kings chapter 17, we have had an entire generation of Israelite kings going all the way back to Jeroboam, and we could walk through every single one of them and see all of the different ways in which they turned their back on God. They were somewhat successful in defeating neighbor armies, somewhat successful in purchasing property, somewhat successful in defending their borders, and yet over and over and over, none of those things mattered. Ultimately, what mattered was how They dealt with God. And it seems a simple corrective. But today, the corrective for us is the same. It does not matter how big our borders become. It does not matter how much security we provide for our descendants financially. It does not matter whether we have strategically made good deals or not. What matters is the heart. What gets remembered is the heart. And that's a challenge for us. Because if, if we're honest, there's a lot of talk about legacy and being remembered and, and wanting to be remembered for the right things. Whether it's as a family, whether it's as a church, whether it's in our, our thinking about our schools, whether we think it's about the ministries and the organizations that we're a part of. And yet what matters in the life of the kings, in the life of the prophets, and in the life of God's people, is whether or not the heart was devoted to God. 
Because a heart that is devoted to anything else will simply end up being a worthless heart. A heart that is devoted to anything else ends up being a worthless heart. And Jesus comes in the flesh because our hearts, as John Calvin notes, are idol factories. We struggle to keep our hearts fixed on what is right and what is good in the eyes of the Lord. And every year at Advent, we anticipate celebrating the coming of Jesus who comes to remind us that he comes for the heart that Jesus recognizes our hearts are deceitful above all things and beyond cure except for the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the encouragement this week is as we consider this Advent season and the celebrations of Christmas, what is the thing or what are the things that our hearts are most devoted to? What is it that we are giving our life to and saying, this is what we want to be remembered for? What are we devoting ourselves to? And if the author of Samuel, if the author of Kings would have a message for us, it's to remember that every single one of these kings lived for a while and then died, but is remembered for either doing what is right or doing what is evil. Let's pray. Gracious God, we need your Holy Spirit to help us to choose to do good, to choose to do what is right. The kings of our history, of course, show us that sometimes we are not always interested in the right things. We sometimes devote ourselves to the wrong things. We forget to to clean house when we need to clean house. God, as we anticipate your first coming, a coming for our hearts, may we remember that song of long ago, what can I give him, poor as I am? What can I give him? I can give him my heart. And God, as we consider giving you our hearts, as we consider how your spirit comes to help us give our lives to you so you can be our Lord and Savior, make us honest and open to the call you put on our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.